Thank you for joining me for another amazing episode of Paranormally Speaking. I'm your host, Neil Parks. I have something special lined up this week. My aspiring film critic of a son just turned 13 years old, and he has a tendency to make fun of and mock my podcast and says that no one listens to podcasts because they are boring. Uh, However, he came up with a wonderful idea to do a theme on this week's episode of Cursed Films and Haunted Movies. Since he is a major movie buff, a lot of these he already knew, some of them he may not have known. But we are here together to share this information with you because it would be something really cool to cover this week. And now a word from our sponsor. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Go ahead and say hello to our listening audience, Luke. Hello, guys. Listen to how deep his voice is getting. He's a 13-year-old man now. (laughs) As I mentioned, Hollywood remake machines, they show no sign of stopping. Uh, There was a um, recent retelling, I guess reintroduction of the Amityville Horror, as well as a 3D remake of the horror classic Poltergeist. That one was directed by Tobe Hooper and produced and co-written by Steven Spielberg. We love to see the name Steven Spielberg involved in movies we watch anyway. Uh, The film garnered mixed reviews, but the movie's presence recalls stories about the original Poltergeist, which have been dubbed cursed by fans and critics. Now, the first cursed movie, haunted movie, that we're going to share with you was the original 1982 incantation of the Poltergeist movie series. And I'm going to allow Lucas to share that one with you based on information and articles I've collected to share with you, the listener. So, the premise of Poltergeist is where a young family's lives are turned upside down when malevolent ghosts invade their home and their daughter is abducted by the evil spirits in Tobe Hooper's classic horror film. The movie is widely believed to be cursed due to several real-life tragedies involving the untimely death of co-stars Heather O'Rourke, who played little girl Carol Ann, and Dominic Dunn, who played older sister Dana. O'Rourke passed away due to a medical di- misdiagnosis when, while Dunn was murdered by her boyfriend. Many believe the curse was sparked by the use of real human skeletons as props. Plastic ones were more expensive to make. In one scene in the film, Brother Robbie, played by Oliver Robbins, has a poster for Super, uh, for Super Bowl in his room, which would take... S- Place six years later in 1988... O'Rourke died the day after the Super Bowl that was in the poster. That brings us to the 1976 classic The Omen next on our list, where the strange real-life deaths and accidents linked to Richard Donner's The Omen, the work of the Antichrist, the subject of Gregory Peck starring horror films some fans believe so. Star Peck and screenwriter David Seltzer were aboard planes struck by lightning during the production of this film, while the producer, Harvey Bernard, was almost struck by lightning in Rome. Several people linked to the film were involved in a car crash, including the director. During filming, Donner's Hotel was bombed by the IRA, terrorist organization out of Ireland. 
Peck almost boarded a flight during a trip to Israel, one of the locations during this shooting, that crashed and killed everyone. Several animal handlers were attacked and injured. Peck's son, Jonathan Peck, committed suicide several months before filming began. Following the production, special effects director John Richardson and his assistant Liz Moore were involved in a serious car accident that decapitated Moore. The gruesome incident, which happened on Friday the 13th, 1976, mirrors one of the Omen's most violent scenes, which led to a decapitation of the same actor. And the next movie on our list will be read by my brilliant son, Lucas. That would be 1968's classic horror thriller, Rosemary's Baby. Anton LaVey was rumored to play the devil in Roman Polanski's Rosemary's Baby, which never happened. But the Black Pope was friends with Mansonite Susan Atkins, who played a role in the murder of Polanski's pregnant wife, Sharon Tate. Producer William Castle received threatening letters following the film's release. One read, Bastard, believer of witchcraft, worshipper at the shrine of Satanism. My prediction is that you will slowly rot during a long and painful illness which you have brought upon yourself. Castle suffered from debilitating health issues soon after, which convinced him the movie was cursed. During one emergency room visit, he reportedly screamed, Rosemary, for God's sakes, drop the knife! Composer Christoph Kometa died of a mysterious brain injury after filming. The next one on our list is a favorite of both Lucas and mine. Psycho, 1960, Alfred Hitchcock's classic murder mystery. Mira Jones, a.k.a. Mira Davis, was one of was the uncredited body double stand-in for Psycho star Janet Leigh. During the making of Hitchcock's 1960 film, a hand handyman named Kenneth Dean Hunt, who was supposedly a Hitchcock obsessive, murdered her. And that was a murder most foul that would make anyone go psycho. The next one on our list is The Original Exorcist from 1973. This is not a sequel or the prequel, but the original. Reports of audiences fainting and vomiting were a common occurrence during the release of William Friedkin's chilling tale of a young girl possessed by the devil, The Exorcist. The movie made national news when a 16th century church across the street from the theater where the film premiered was struck by lightning, causing the cross to fall to the ground. Actor Jack McGrowan played the doomed director in the film, Burke Dennings, and succumbed to the flu shortly after filming wrapped. There are at least eight other deaths associated with the production. The set for the McNeil home burned down in a studio fire, but Reagan's Linda Blair room was supposedly untouched by the blaze. That sounds very haunting, very enchanting, in fact. Um, I don't know if you remember stories of the during the filming of The Passion of the Christ, but Jim Caviezel, who played Jesus Christ, was actually struck by lightning twice during the crucifixion scene when he was mounted on the cross. Were you aware of that? Yes, I knew what happened there. And he was actually 33 during the filming of this, which had him really spooked since Jesus Christ himself in the flesh died at the age of 33. So that was haunting in itself. And now a word from our sponsor. Ghosts, aliens, UFOs, Bigfoot, parallel universes, angels and demons, time travel, cryptozoology, and so much more within the realm of the unexplained, the strange, and the out of this world. I'm your host, Neil Parks, award-winning author, screenwriter, researcher, and paranormal professional. Join me every week as I tackle hot-button topics within the paranormal realm. 
I'll share personal accounts, my research, and secondhand evidence. I will read excerpts and stories from my books and discuss my upcoming projects in the literary world. Documentaries, both on TV and the big screen, plus my independent film projects. Paranormally Speaking is both thought-provoking and entertaining. New episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in to Paranormally Speaking and prepare to be enlightened. Next one on my list is the Amityville Horror. This one is close to my interest as far as peaking it. It's had several spinoffs, remakes, and sequels, and also a documentary that I was involved in back in 2013 called My Amityville Horror. Uh, that one was put together by the son of uh, the man who grew up in the house, the man being uh, the main antagonist who he and his family without packing anything up, left it all behind and fled from the home because of the weird occurrences. But he told me the best day of his life was putting that SOB to rest because he was an abusive drunkard of a stepfather. And if anything bad truly happened in that house, it was a result of his negative energy. The image of a horror inspired by true stories that have been the subject of controversy and much legal drama the Amityville Horror is based on the paranormal experiences of the Lutz family. After moving into a reportedly haunted house on 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville, New York, prior to moving into the Dutch Colonial with ocular windows, previous resident Ronald Defoe Jr. shot and killed his entire family. The Lutzes claim they were forced out of the home by an evil entity that terrorized them. A popular book was written, which was adapted for film in 1979. The ghostly aura surrounding the real-life tale pervaded the set, but much of what has been dismissed as invention to drum up publicity starred James Brolin, who didn't believe in the Lutz's story, experienced a fright while studying the novel for the film. Initially hesitant to take the part, he agreed to do it after his pants fell from his hanger, causing him to jump and nearly crash his head through the ceiling. Now to our next haunted film, The Possession, from 2012. From Entertainment Weekly, on the real-life drama behind The Possession, where lights exploded on set and props were burned in a mysterious fire, Lionsgate will release The Possession, a film produced by Sam, Ra Sam Raimi, director of The Evil Dead and Spider-Man, that's loosely based on the terrifying experiences endured by Haxton and the previous owners of the wine cabinet, which has become known in some circles as the Dybbuk Box. A Dybbuk, according to Dr. Jeremy Dabber, an associate professor of Yiddish language, literature, and culture at Columbia and University, is a Jewish term for a restless spirit that finds refuge in a living creature. Dauber says the idea of possession has long been a part of Jewish lore, just as it has with Christ Christianity. For almost a decade, the 12.5 by 7.5 by 16 in one-fourth box has fascinated paranormalists and paranormal debunkers alike. Now it's about to reach the masses in a cinematic form, with Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Kyra Sedwick starring as the parents of a young girl, Natasha Callas, who acquires the box. Raimi, who was raised in a conservative Jewish home, says he had a natural curiosity about the subject. You don't hear about Dybbuk's when you go to synagogue, he explains. I know the demonic lore of the exorcist. But what does my faith believe about demonic possession? The other thing was, it scared me something horrible, he says. 
The stories chilled me to the bone. They certainly gave Morgan pause for thought. In the research I did, I started getting creeped out, the actor says. My girlfriend was like, let's just make sure that we don't actually go near the real Dybbuk box. Next, and certainly one of my favorites on this list, is 2013's The Conjuring, based on real-life ghost hunters Ed and Lorraine Warren, who aided in the real-life Amityville horror case investigated the haunting of the Perone family home, a farmhouse plagued by generations of death, disaster, and a possessed doll, which later we know to become Annabelle. The case inspired James Wan's supernatural film, which left some audiences in the Philippines with such a fright there were priests available at screenings to bless viewers and provide counseling. On and off set, paranormal incidences occurred, including strange claw marks on star Vera Farmiga's computer as well as Juan's tormented dog growling at invisible intruders, a strange wind that apparently put Carolyn Perron in the hospital, and a fire were reported, among many other things. And this is The Exorcism of Emily Rose from 2005. Dexter star Jennifer Carpenter reported that during the making of The Exorcism of Emily Rose, in which she played a big-screen version of German woman Annalise Michael, whose poor health and subsequent death were blamed on a failed exorcism. Her radio would mysteriously turn on and off from an interview with Dread Central. A common question when making a film like this, did anything weird happen during filming? She was asked. I thought about it when it happened, and two or three times when I was going to sleep, my radio came on by itself. The only time it scared me was once because it was really loud and it was Pearl Jam's Alive. Laura's TV came on a couple of times, she replied. At 3 a.m., they inquired. Mine wasn't 3 a.m. I was born at 3 a.m., but it hasn't happened to me. I did check, she replied again. The next one on the list is 2011's The Innkeepers. Innkeepers director Ty West was skeptical about the strange occurrences during the making of his movie. Still, creepy stories from the set became the focus in the press. From an interview with West, he responded, I'm a skeptic, so I don't really buy into it. But I've definitely seen doors close by themselves. I've seen a TV turn off and on by itself. Lights would always burn out in my room. Everyone on crew was, had very vivid dreams every night, which is really strange. The one story that is most intriguing to me, he said, is in the film, the most haunted room is the honeymoon suite. That's where the ghost stuff started in the hotel. The only reason I picked that room to shoot in was because it was big enough to do a dolly shot. No more thought went into it after that other than the pure technical reason. So when we were finishing the movie, I found out that most haunted room in the hotel in real life was the room that I picked to be the haunted room in the movie. It could be a coincidence. It's weird that it happened that way. Sarah Paxton, the star of the film, would wake up in the middle of the night thinking someone was in the room with her. Everyone has stories, but I was too busy saying, let's just shoot. Let's just go with this. We have 17 days. And now a special bonus movie we wanted to discuss. It was not on the compiled list, but we thought it was important to share and bring up once again. The Wizard of Oz. Everyone knows what The Wizard of Oz is, and it's kind of a weird choice to put on here because it's not like the other movies. It's basically a film marketed towards children. It's not a horror movie, no. No. Now, one really cool thing about it I brought up to you the other day was the fact that you can take Pink Floyd's classic album, Dark Side of the Moon, 
And by the third roar of the MGM lion before the movie even starts, when it's just saying MGM production, by the third roar, you can start the album Dark Side of the Moon. And every song coincides scene by scene with the movie and everything that's being sung about in each song of Dark Side of the Moon relates to the scene that you're watching from Wizard of Oz. Do you think that was a coincidence? or? Well, the thing with Pink Floyd, they were really baked down on a lot of acid and LSD. I don't know if it was intentional or just some kind of a strange paranormal occurrence that went along with them experimenting with those crazy drugs and then deciding to write an album based around The Wizard of Oz to give it a rock opera. It's anyone's guess. It was the 1970s when that happened. Have you heard about the thing where the first Tin Man they chose got lead poisoning from the uh, helmet he had to put on? Yeah, did he got really ill from that. Did he, didn't he die? I think he did. And what about when they're going down the yellow brick road? Remember the person that was working a dolly grip mic or something was up in the tree and got wrapped up around the cords and inadvertently hung himself? And in the distance, you can see his body swinging in the tree. Actually, that is false. I've uh, looked on Snopes, and I found out that was a rumor. So what was that? What was that in the background? Just a bird or something? Uh, I'm pretty sure it was just like a set malfunction. Oh, it looked like a dude dangling from the it, tree. It did. Yeah. Well, nonetheless, I mean, legend and folklore follow with each one of these movies that we covered, as well as Wizard of Oz. There, there was some really interesting things that took place around the directing and the writing and the production of that film. For example, uh, Judy Garland. God, did they use her and throw her away. That poor girl. Producers were manhandling her and doing things to her that are beyond questionable. In fact, a producer forced her to get an abortion after he impregnated her. And the Munchkins molested her. And the Munchkins allegedly molested and grabbed her during filming. And so there were a lot of things that went on that it goes so far beyond paranormal occurrences and strange and weird facts and factoids or anything that's just rumor and conjunction. But when you've got full-grown adults playing the parts of dwarfs, grabbing a young actress, that, that should have been handled uh, right away. But that was long before the Me Too movement. Yeah, yeah. Yes, well, thank you so much for joining me today on this episode, buddy. And I'm going to go ahead and plug your podcast. And my son, Lucas, like I mentioned, is an aspiring film critic. Uh, the kid already has his own IMDb page from his involvement in an indie film that I worked on and co-wrote called Blood Alley, Chillicothe Makes a Movie, which is a zombie outbreak centered around the historical downtown of Ohio's very first capital, Chillicothe, Ohio. So my son, Lucas, and my daughter, Isabella, played zombies in the film, therefore earning their own IMDb page because... Oddly enough, this small indie classic that we made is now available on Amazon Prime to view, and it had won several indie film accolades without us even really trying. Didn't it go to like South by Southwest Film Festival? It is. It was uh, on a like um, one of the back rooms of the South by Southwest Film Festival. Yeah, but they uh, low budget indie films, but they ended up canceling South by Southwest because of COVID nineteen. Totally blows. But you could totally make a movie about that now. Uh, your podcast, though, was originally titled, uh, what was it, Luke at This? Yeah. And it was your film critiques, your, uh, your own critic's choice, and movie's choice, and your star-by-star -star rating. But now you're going to call it what? Now I'm going to call it Quiet on Set. Quiet on Set. That works for me. And we would definitely need to be quiet and listen to this big brain of a kid talk about movies, both good and bad, 
he also writes some amazing reviews for television shows. Uh, so I would be happy to share any information uh, to where you could contact him and talk movies with my kids sometime. Uh, his email address, of course, is all I would give you as far as a means of contact. Mm-hmm. But you can shoot me an email at parksparanormal at gmail.com or Google search at the Neil Parks. And it's all good stuff you'll find online. There's nothing illegal uh, about me. No arrests, no violent outbursts no ever tapes. captured on film. <laughs> yeah. I did all that crazy stuff before film became a thing. Um, don't follow my lead, Luke. Have a uh, great rest of the weekend. And I hope to uh, do this again sometime. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're very welcome, buddy. And now a word from our sponsor. Why do people believe in conspiracy theories? It seems that every family has an Uncle Joe, the guy who goes on and on about conspiracy theories at the holiday dinner table. The 9-11 attack was orchestrated by the government. The moon landing was filmed in Hollywood. Lee Harvey Oswald did not act alone in the Kennedy assassination. And don't get me started on global warming. Record low temperatures this Christmas and you expect me to believe in a world that's actually getting warmer? Give me a break. Maybe we should just give Uncle Joe a break, or at least try to understand where he's coming from. Why do some people believe in conspiracy theories anyway? This is exactly the question posed by British psychologist Karen Douglas and her colleagues in a recent article in the journal Current Directions in Psychological Science. The researchers found that the reason for believing in conspiracy theories can be grouped into three categories. Number one, the desire for understanding and certainty. Number two, the desire for control and security. And number three, the desire to maintain a positive self-image. They look at each of these three motives in turn. The desire for understanding and certainty, seeking explanations for events, is a natural human desire. We are constantly asking why things happen the way they do. Why does it have to rain the day I want to go out. Why did she give me the cold shoulder like that? Why can't you understand what I'm trying to tell you? And we don't just ask questions. We also quickly find answers to those questions. Not necessarily the true answers, but rather answers that comfort us or that fit into our worldview or not necessarily a global view because so many people that are conspiracy theorists have more of a local if not regional view and they believe that their local perspective and regional perspective affects the overall global perspective the problem with that is you can't understand what i'm saying because you're just not listening we all harbor false beliefs that is things we believe to be true but in fact are not for example if you believe sydney is the capital of australia You are a victim of a false belief. But once you are confronted with the fact that Canberra is the capital of Australia, you'll readily change your mind. After all, you were simply misinformed and you're not emotionally invested in it. Conspiracy theories are also false beliefs by definition, but people who believe in them have a vested interest in maintaining them. First, they put some effort into understanding the conspiracy theory explanation for the event. Whether by reading books, going to websites, or watching TV programs that support their beliefs. For example, Fox News. Uncertainty is an unpleasant state, and conspiracy theories provide a sense of understanding and certainty that is comforting to those. 
The desire for control and security is the second label. People need to feel they're in control of their lives. For instance, many people feel safer when they are the driver in the car rather than the passenger. Of course, even the best drivers can get into accidents for reasons beyond their control. Likewise, conspiracy theories can give their believers a sense of control and security. This is especially true when the alternative accounts feel threatening. For example, if global temperatures are in fact rising catastrophically due to human activity, then I'll have to make painful changes in my comfortable lifestyle. But if pundits and politicians assure me that global warming is a hoax, then I can maintain my current way of living. This kind of motivated reasoning is an important component in conspiracy theory beliefs. And the third example, the desire to maintain a positive self-image. Research shows that people who feel socially marginalized are more likely to believe in conspiracy theories. We all have a desire to maintain a positive self-image, which usually comes from the roles we play in life. That being our jobs, our relationships with family and friends. When we know we make a positive difference in the lives of others, as parent, spouse, friend, teacher, or mentor, we see our own lives as worthwhile, and we feel good about ourselves. But say Uncle Joe is on disability and hasn't worked for years. He feels socially excluded. However, he does have plenty of time to surf the internet for information about conspiracy theories, and he can chat online with others who hold similar beliefs. Thus, belief in conspiracy theories gives Uncle Joe a sense of community. Furthermore, his research in conspiracy theories has given him a sense that he is the holder of privileged knowledge. Most people who believe global warming is real or that vaccines are safe don't do so because they understand science. Rather, they trust the experts. And so when Uncle Joe starts trotting on out all the evidence against global warming, it can be difficult to make reasonable counter-arguments. All you've got is the feeling that the conspiracy theory seems too complicated to be true. But from Uncle Joe's perspective, it's clear he knows more about the subject than you do. In sum, we have a good understanding of what motivates people to believe in conspiracy theories. That is, they do so because of three basic needs. We all have to understand the world around us, to feel secure and in control, and to maintain a positive self-image. But do conspiracy theory beliefs actually help people satisfy these needs? Studies have found that when college students are exposed to conspiracy theories, they show an increased sense of insecurity. This has led some researchers to conclude that conspiracy theory belief is self-defeating. However, as Douglas and her colleagues point out, most college students have little motivation to believe in conspiracy theories in the first place. What's really needed, they argue, are some carefully designed studies that directly examine those who already believe in conspiracy theories. Regardless of the outcome of these future studies, the real question for us now is how to deal with the Uncle Joe in our life. You may offer counter-evidence in an attempt to convince him to give up his conspiracy theories, but you're unlikely to succeed. This is because you are arguing facts while Uncle Joe is defending his sense of security and his positive feelings about himself. 
And for the rest of us, self-image trumps facts every time. Hey guys, good news. The outrageously expensive little blue pill is now generic, which means you can get the prescription medication to treat ED at affordable prices. And Hems makes it extra affordable. You pay just 30 bucks for a month's supply. And right now, get your first online doctor's visit totally free when you go to 4 slash good. That's right, free, zero copay, no expensive appointments, no awkward face-to-face -face conversations to get your prescription. Hims connects you to doctors online who can evaluate you and, if appropriate, prescribe your ED medication. And a pharmacy sends it right to your door. Hims makes it affordable, private, and incredibly easy. Nobody likes dealing with ED. Now, thanks to Hims, nobody has to. And that's really good news. To start your free online visit, you need to go to this exclusive address, 4 slash good. That's 4 slash good for your free online visit. F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash good. Family is big around here. We're family-owned, family-operated, family-managed. And that means legacy. That means dependability. That means using Granger. With over 1.5 million products and knowledgeable product experts, Granger has whatever we need. And with same-day pickup and next-day delivery options, they have it whenever we need it. For over 90 years, businesses like ours have trusted Granger. Because, like family, Granger's got our back. Call, click Granger.com, or stop by to see for yourself. Granger, for the ones who get it done. That was a lot of fun this week. What an awesome show, if I do say so myself. Yes, I'm patting myself on the back. I want to give a shout out to my son. Thank you so much, buddy, for joining me in this week's episode of Paranormally Speaking. I hope you continue to um, increase your listening viewership in your podcast, uh, which is Quiet on the Set. My son does exceptionally well-crafted movie, TV, and theater reviews. And he's going to start adding restaurant reviews into his arsenal. So keep an eye out for that, kid. Uh, be sure to join us next week when I have more useless information, fun facts, and creepy stuff to share with you. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe out there. And be sure to wash your hands and don't touch your face if you can avoid it.